Hey, welcome back to The Deal. This is Danny Brown. This week's show is sponsored by The Platform. The Platform in Culver City, the best men's merchandise, clothes, lifestyle. They pick all the best brands from around uh, the world, uh, every different cool boutique, and they bring it there. So go say hello, get a discount, tell them I sent you. Best place to shop. I get all my gear there. And today's episode, we have Ben Moss out of Miami, one of the top agents in the country, the head of the sports and entertainment division at Compass. He deals with a lot of the high profile celebrity athletes and entertainers and clients that we uh, we have in common. You can find Ben at Ben Moss Group on Instagram and benmossgroup.com. School is in session. Please subscribe and tell a friend. You can find us anywhere you consume your content on uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, etc., and video on YouTube. So please leave us a comment, subscribe, five star if you like what you hear, tell friends, appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon. Welcome back to The Deal, ladies and gentlemen. Today's guest straight out of Miami, Ben Moss. How are you, Ben? Good to see you. Good to see you, Danny. You too. Last time I saw you, we were having cocktails in Austin at the Peacock Bar, one of my favorite spots in Austin. That was awesome. Hopefully, I'll get to see you again soon uh, on the beaches of Miami. But uh, you're live and direct from Miami. You are the head of the Compass Sports Entertainment Division, meaning you deal with a lot of high-profile athletes, celebrities, etc. Not as glamorous as people think it is. Obviously, I deal with a lot of the same clients and know how what a grind that could be. We'll get into that uh, a little later, but I wanted to start with, look, you're at the epicenter of the world now, Miami. It's it's really booming, and since COVID, it's been one of the markets, you know, it's every other week, someone I know is moving to Texas or Florida, and I want to hear you being a, a Miami-bred guy and being a Miami top guy in the country or a top agent in the country, top of Miami, why are people moving to Miami? Is it the mayor? Is it the taxes? Is it all of it? I'd just like to hear an insider's view of what's been going on, on uh, in the trenches and why you think Miami is the place where everyone should be if they want business and better lifestyle. So uh, plug Miami for us, Ben. Yeah, you know, it's sometimes I've struggled in the past to plug Miami, but right now it seems like it's very easy to plug. And so there's lots of Lots of nuances, lots of things happening. So yeah, I mean, I've been in Miami, you know, I'm 43 now. I've been in Miami since I was five years old. So I've really seen the growth of this town. Yep. And I would say, you know, it's from a, from a macro perspective, it, it's been a, a provincial town for a lot of time, a lot of, a lot of times in our uh, history here. I mean, you know, everybody knows about South Beach, but people don't put it on par with New York or LA or, you know, some of the world-class cities, but I think now it's becoming a world-class city Absolutely. and region. And so, so yeah, I mean, you mentioned taxes, you mentioned the good weather. I mean, those things for sure matter, but that's been the case for a long time. I think also the sense of community that's being built here now, as far as, you know, people not just buying second homes, but they've been relocating their families, their kids, uh, putting their kids in school here. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a different thing. So obviously- I just had a good friend pandemic, uh, and client that they moved their family from LA to Florida. But, you know, so it's happening yeah. all around us. Yeah. So some of the things that we're seeing now happen, you know, I just sold two houses last week, uh, by the way, 50% and 59% profit for my sellers in a year and in, in less than a year and a half in both cases, but both those families were from California. And I asked one of the couples from California, I said, what you do? And they said, they just bought their house in California last year. And they said, you know what, Ben, we love California. We just bought our house last year, but you know, we don't mind paying the taxes, but LA is going to, you know, you know what? And, uh, I think they were referring to, 
that's just the, the crime, the homelessness, you know, all this kind of stuff. I haven't been to LA in a couple of years, so I, it's hard for me to see it, but I'm just hearing the same thing over and over. We heard about the crime in Chicago and the crime in New York. And I think some of these things, hopefully are getting under control, but, um, but yeah, I think it's in combination with, you know, having more space at home, you know, working from home so you can get more bang for your buck here, prices per square foot are lower. You get weather year round, you get the tax benefits. And uh, I think when you add it all up, you know, the sense of community. So you've had so many people, you know, first from New York, the tri-state area coming down, the finance community, hedge fund community. And then you had, you know, more recently, the the folks from a lot, a lot of people from Chicago as well in that Chicago land area, and then from California. And so, you know, I've, I've heard now medical freedom, you know, don't have to wear masks, you know, all these things. There's just such a combination of things that are happening and, and, you know, prices are still lower, so you can get a lot more bang for your buck. And I think that also factors in. Yeah. So it's interesting. Here we are on the back half of February in LA and our kids are still wearing masks in school. And I don't want to get into a political debate. Everyone has their own, their own views, obviously. And there's a lot of conflict around, you know, the medical and science and this and that. But at Florida, as I might, from my understanding, I was seeing friends and Instagram people in nightclubs a year and a half ago, like six, a couple months into COVID, it's been open, right? It's, it's it is a different world down here. I mean, that being said, I know because I've talked to you and other people in LA and New York, and those markets are on fire. So not everybody's leaving clearly, but right, right. But I think you know Miami is certainly benefiting from people that are coming here, and you know, for five million dollars, it seems like it's so weird. I mean, it's almost like that's a dime a dozen now. Five million dollar house seems like you know Miami's becoming a resort town. And so, you know, it's got a share of problems as well. And, and I, my hope for Miami is that the people that are coming here really give back to the community and, and, you know, invest in the community. And I think we're starting to see those things happen. The mayor of Miami, you know, Mayor Suarez, who's a great guy, um, you know, born and bred down here as well. You know, he yeah. announced a charter school, a technology charter school that's, that's opening up and that's involved with Miami-Dade College, which is the biggest community college in the country as well. So, you know, I think we're starting to see this community, the tech community and and people like that coming here and, and and wanting to make a difference and and you know make investments for the long term, yeah, it really, which is cool. That wasn't it, the case before. It really seems like your your mayor is so pro business and welcoming and trying to build bring in business and build business. It's just it's amazing. It seems so different from what we've been experiencing here in L.A. And yes, we have this awful uh, homeless issue that's going on, but hopefully that will pass. But so talk to me a little bit about, uh, from a real estate front, uh, some of these uh, watermark sales that you've had and others have had, so we can get an idea and a sense for those who are not in the Florida or South Florida markets, what kind of prices are we talking about in some of these? Because I've seen some huge sales. Yeah, we just had a sale you know, pretty close to where I live in, in a very high-end area called Ponce Davis. And uh, Ponce Davis is unincorporated in Miami-Dade County, but it's on the mainland, it's not on Miami Beach, and it's not on, it's not on the water. And there was a house that just traded there for $18 million, new construction. I mean, you know, Ponce Davis getting $9 million a year ago was a big number. And, and you know, there was one sale that was like 11 million. This is, this is huge. I mean, this is like an amazing, an amazing number. And so, you know, we've seen 30, 35%, in some cases, 50% as the, the two properties that I mentioned, a price appreciation in a year. So another area like Pinecrest, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of celebrities, a lot of um, athletes live in that area. You know, you can get like an acre of land in a beautiful gated house, you know, five, 600 bucks a square foot was a big number uh, pre-pandemic. Now you're seeing routinely new construction trade for over a thousand dollars a square foot. So it's doubled um, quickly. Yeah. So, and on the condo side, you know, so but basically there's a four months, a four and a half month supply of houses, single family homes 
above a million dollars in Miami and Broward County, you know, just the north of us is seeing a lot of benefit as well. I mean, there's a three and a half month supply up there. So it's not just Miami. And then you go into Palm Beach north of that and that's on fire. So, um, you know, obviously South Beach is South Beach and you're, you're still seeing a lot of a lot of um, you haven't seen the overbuilding happen there. And a lot of the building that's been happening on the condo side has been in you know the greater downtown Miami area. And, you know, those, those condos are all being snapped up as well. So and we haven't even seen the international market come back. And so I think, you know, it's all domestic driven inbound uh, from, right. from these primary areas that we talked about. But, you know, I think what's going to happen next when you see what's happening in Mexico and, you know, Argentina and, and Brazil, like you think all those people are already here or already own property in Miami, but I don't think so. I think once the borders open up, we're going to see a whole second wave of people coming in here buying property, which will, you know, add additional support and price appreciation for a lot of the properties here. This is just fascinating on so many levels because historically, Latin America and South America has always been a feeder market, uh, especially the 80s, the 90s, et cetera, 2000s. And we've always heard about, you know, wealthy South Americans buying homes and high rises, et cetera. But what you're telling me and what I've been hearing and you're confirming is that this influx is domestic driven, that the international audience hasn't even really started to tap in. And who knows what that will do? You already are, are seeing 50 percent to 100 percent appreciation in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I'm hearing the same thing, you know, from Jonathan Spears, uh, who deals. He's killing it on the 30A side of Florida, you know, totally different part of Florida. But same sort of uh the same narrative in terms of this domestic influx and the the raise the high watermarks of uh pricing so that's really it's really fascinating and you know i, I look forward to, to taking a tour with you when i'm there so let's pivot a little bit and uh get back to you and the ben moss group you look you've been uh, you run the nationally the sports entertainment division for compass uh so why don't you talk a little bit about that what this what the sports and uh, entertainment division at Compass does and what your, you and your group do uh, in terms of your business and your volume and your team structure. And let's start with that. And then we can get back into where you started and when you first got into real estate. But let's let's start with today and what, what it's looking like now. Yeah. So my my team that I operate, Danny, is in you know Miami and Broward. So I was up in Parkland this morning and, and that's you know a good hour and change north of me. But I I love relationships. I mean, what I love about this business is building relationships. So I, I, as long as I don't have the geographical constraint, once I get too far out of bounds, then I gotta, I gotta refer that or you know do that sort of thing. But you know, I've got a team here that you know, we focus in Miami and Broward County. And um, you know, last year we did 184 million in sales, and so we do, do good sales volume. And you know, we've got nine of us here. We've got a director of operations, so it's you know, it's a good, it's a good team. Uh, we have a good thing going here. And then we also I have three team members in Tampa as well. Uh, so, you know, we're actually the official team realtors of the Tampa Bay Bucks, which is, which is awesome. pretty cool. And we've got a three-year agreement with them to do that. So, you know, team up there is, is, is kind of focused on that. Um, I'm involved with, uh, you know, the, the Miami Dolphins and some other local teams here. So it's primarily around educational initiatives. And uh, that's my way of kind of giving back and adding value because I, I find like, you know, hanging out in the clubs, that's not my thing. Yeah. I go to bed early and I get up early. So it's yeah. like not conducive to be out late, even though South Beach offers that. And I used to, yeah, in, as a, in a different era, I did some of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Good old days. Long gone. Yeah. So, um, and then, so sports entertainment is, uh, is interesting. I mean, Compass, you know, we, we have uh, over 35 offices, 35 regions of the country uh, within our sports entertainment group. So, you know, all the major sports markets for the most part and this compass has been opening up in Kansas City and Indianapolis, you know, we're getting agents uh, that, that are vetted, uh, that have a certain number of, of transactions 
and understand how to, how to deal with the confidentiality and the, the needs and wants of these high profile uh, people, you know, as you deal with as well. And so, um, you know, we're, we're working on some different initiatives right now, uh, some educational initiatives. We've joined something which is pretty cool with exclusive uh, sponsor partner of the business managers forum. And there's about 60 plus business management uh, firms, mostly LA, New York, and some Miami and London based yeah. entities. So, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten in with them and we're focused on seeing how we can kind of change the narrative. We're not just, we don't just want to have a fancy website and you know, stick uh, our compass name on the seats at Madison Square Garden. I mean, anybody can do that, but it's like, how do you actually deal with the gatekeepers, with the celebrities, with the entertainers, with the athletes? How do you add value? And I think a lot of it's around real estate education and, uh, you know, being present also for them. And we just had a our national sports entertainment division call. We had a, a kind of a mental specialist on and a coach for high performers. And, you know, I think as realtors, we're high performers. We have a lot of things we got to do every day. So, it's not that dissimilar from the mindset that a lot of these entertainers and athletes have and the ups and downs and the burnout and, you know, all those things as well. Yeah. There's a lot of correlations. We discussed that a lot with uh, my fellows in the business a lot. So this a quick breakdown, how many agents versus how many support staff are on your team? I always like to break that down. So well, I've got, I've got two support staff right now, two salaried people. I I've had three in the past, a marketing person, but I'm transitioning marketing uh, and I'm hiring a inside sales agent right now is my third person, because I think like probably in your market, Danny, you know, I've got so many buyers right now yeah. and I don't have the time personally to pick up the phone and, and call homeowners directly and do some of those things. So for the first time in my career, um, I'm hiring an inside sales agent that will be salaried plus bonus. And then, you know, we'll see how that goes. But, but I think as the market changes, that'll help lead to a lot more opportunities to transfer those, those relationships into listings when the market turns a little bit. But right now I just need to get off market listings for my buyers. Yeah. yeah and then I have, uh, I think we're a total of nine, nine people on the team, uh, a couple that just came down from New York last year, getting settled here. But I like, you know, if you can make it in New York, um, where you don't have an MLS, you know, I think that's a good, a good thing for South Florida. So I brought a couple, couple New York, um, mentality agents yeah, some killers. with that mentality onto the team here. Yeah. Some killers <laughs> on the team. Exactly. So, All right. So, Let's let's go back to the beginning now because I started with where you are today. Let's go back to you know where you grew up. You said you grew up in Miami. What was it like growing up in Miami at that time? The Pablo Escobar uh, Miami days. Uh, you know what your parents did and you know how you where you went to school and how you even got into real estate. I know that's a lot of ground to cover, but let's go back to the yeah beginning. yeah. Well, Miami was like a small town at that time. You know you could ride your bike and I rode, rode my bike to elementary school and things like that. It was a great place to grow up. I mean, obviously now with texting people texting while driving, you can't do that anywhere in, in most places, unfortunately. So it's a different, different childhood experience. Now, I think the one, the one knock on Miami is, you know, if you're not a boater or a golfer, it's kind of tougher to figure out ways to, to get out in nature and like the weather's great, but those are some of the things, but yeah, growing up in the street playing kickball, basketball, like I was a total jock and it was great. And, um, I went to the university of Miami. My dad was a professor and a Dean. So I got a free ride. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, okay. so that was good. Okay. And, and I got to work. I was a guy. <laughs> Yeah, I went to the U. And so luckily when I was there, we weren't very good in football. But right when I graduated, I was friends with some ball players and stuff. We'd go out, you know, drinking in Coconut Grove on Thursday nights. But I was also the guy that wore my suit to class and would hop on the, the metro rail and take that to downtown because I didn't have money to pay for parking in the garage at you know on Brickle Avenue. So, you know, so I was kind of like serious, but hanging out with them too. And um, I thought I was going to go into finance. Then I went to one of these, the way I got into real estate to answer your question on that is I went to one of these three-day investment seminars and was just like all fired up. And I ended up flipping a house. Oh, and uh, I took the lady to a, an Irish pub uh, 
and I was wearing a suit that was probably way too big on me. And I was hoping they wouldn't card me. And we, anyway, we signed the contract there. And then like the next day I went to an investment club meeting that I was going to these investment club meetings. And I, I kind of, I said, Hey, I have a deal. And I ended up assigning the contract to, um, to somebody there. Long story short, I made 7,000 bucks on the deal, which I was like, Oh, this is a lot of, a lot of money pull, right now. Yeah. But at the closing, there was somebody else there too. And I was like, who's this guy? So the guy that I signed it to, I made $7,000. He assigned it for like another $85,000 to the guy who actually ended up buying it. And then that person ended up fixing it up and selling it. And I left a ton of money on the table, but you know, I think I was making like 13 bucks an hour at the University of Miami library at that specific time. So I said, hey, real estate, I'm, I'm, I'm in on this. But I ended up going into commercial real estate. So I went in, into invest, real estate investment banking for a couple of years. Didn't like that. Went into uh, office leasing. Okay. For five years. And that was great. Got a lot of transactional experience, but I felt like the learning curve wasn't, wasn't shooting up high enough for me. Yeah. And, um, and anyway, ended up in residential real estate uh, in 2000, probably 2008, 2009, right at the, like the worst possible time. Out of Miami. It was great. I learned a lot. Hard. Yes. Yeah. That time. So I why don't you talk us, first of all, do you still have that MC Hammer style suit that you wore to that first uh, deal in the closet somewhere? No, luckily I've got to rock that, that next that. time I come to Miami. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm trying not to wear suits anymore now. It's just like, you know, AG jeans and maybe a blazer and, you know, some tennis shoes is like one thing I realized with the athletes is like I was a guy like trying to be all professional because I was young and wanted to, you know, be professional with them. But I was like, they don't want to hang out with a dude in a suit. Yeah. For the most part. So then I you know, started realizing. So I dress for the audience now, but it's much more casual. Interesting how that works. All right. So this is interesting. You had it. You grew up in Miami. You, you, your, your father was a professor there. You went to school there. You had a network there. You got into commercial real estate. So you had some background in terms of language and business and contracts and property and this and that. So now you make the shift into residential in 08 and 09, right at the Great Recession. And Miami got hit hard because they had such a development boom and empty buildings everywhere. So talk to us. That must have been a real easy time to get into residential real estate. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, I uh, I got in just before then, but then uh, maybe 2008, uh, you know, things were still fine or 2007, two things were still fine. But then it, I knew I was getting into something that wasn't sustainable. I mean, it just you could feel it like people were it was like musical chairs. People were flipping condos four times. And I remember having one client that bought a place for 700,000 flipped. you know, the property ended up going for like, I don't know, 1.8 million or something like that. It was just it was crazy and it wasn't sustainable. But one thing that I said, okay, I'm not gonna be able to control the outcome on this because this is, you know, 2009. I mean, like nobody was doing any deals. It's like the opposite of today. Like today, yeah. like so many buyers and not enough inventory. Then it was like, oh, there's a ton of inventory, but nobody wants to buy. Everything was and for sale. Right. You couldn't find a buyer. Huh. Yeah, great time to price, buy. Right? They didn't want it no matter no matter what the discount, not interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my goal that year in 2009 was just to break even to cover my expenses. And, um, and I, I made 17,000 bucks. So I said, all right, I, I did. Yeah. This was a success, you know, but what so I did that year was like, go to every lunch, like take everybody to lunch, go to breakfast, like make introductions, just be, just being out and about trying to make connections and build that network. Cause that was the only thing that I could control. Yeah. I couldn't control the deals. And, uh, you know, and it was frustrating, but, but I think that's at the stage for when things started to rebound, then I was able to kind of jump in. I wasn't sitting there feeling sorry for myself. And I was like, oh, I got to make it happen. And, uh, and so that was kind of what I did in 2009. And then, yeah, then the market came back and, you know, 2000, by mid 2010, things were, things were starting to kind of pick up again. Got it. So rather than, oh, oh, you know, oh, woes me and complaining and being depressed, you were saying, Hey, 
I'll take any deal I can get. And in my, if I'm not doing deals, I'm getting in front of people and I'm building relationships. You had a positive mindset, which uh, that's incredible. And I imagine that did, that probably built the foundation for you to as a springboard when the market came back, because you were already putting the time into those relationships. So once yeah. the market started turning, talk to us about what you started experiencing in your business in 10, 11, 12, 13, as it started progressing. What was that like? Yeah, that's, that's kind of, you know, I think one thing also that I'll say in 2009, 2010, in that area, I started getting into personal development pretty heavily. So I made the decision to turn off CNBC. You know, I'd recently gotten divorced and I would sit there and turn the TV on. I lived by myself and, and, you know, I felt fine. And then after watching CNBC in the morning, I felt like, you know, yeah, life sucks. I'm depressed like, and I'm going to go back yeah. to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm going to turn off the TV. And that's been, a, that was, so that's, you know, not that I don't ever watch TV, but like I'll watch some, some sports or whatever, but I don't watch shows. I don't. So yeah, I'm missing out on the net, the greatest Netflix, you know, series or whatever, but I'm willing to make that trade off because, because I, uh, I get up in the morning and, you know, kind of do my, my morning routine and go work out and all these things. Cause I feel like we got to get our mind right. You know? So I, I, so it was kind of an interesting time, a lot of personal growth at that time as well and some struggles for sure. Um, but yeah, I think then what I started doing was really building out my business. What do I love about this business? Like, I don't know how to cold call. I don't know how to do a lot of those things. I don't, first of all, I wouldn't enjoy that. I've never cold call. I mean, I, not that I've never, I have, but it's not something that I have done maybe more than a handful of times. So, um, you know, so I just started meeting people and connecting with people and trying to make introductions for them and see how I can add value. And then, you know, one thing led to another, and that's kind of why I'm in Miami and Broward as well, because I'm kind of all over, you know, my network is I'll go wherever the network is. And, uh, and then on the sports side, I started being strategic and saying, okay, well, you know, I tried going to the nightclubs and buying tables and that was a waste of 1500 bucks, you know, like definitely not going to get any business from this, you know? So did that a few times, but then I started getting strategic, got linked up with the Miami Dolphins and started being able to do some education and uh, built out a whole PowerPoint for rookies and started doing that. And then, you know, one thing just led to another and, um, and just, you know, being a value. I think like what I, what I said earlier, like, let me be strategic. And, and, you know, I think these athletes need, um, they, they, they're asking me for, it started off with like one or two athletes, you know, Hey Ben, can you review a contract for me in Jacksonville? Or, Hey, I want to yeah. build a house in Denver, give a realtor there. And I said, yeah, I, I don't, but I, but I will get you one. Just hang on, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so within a couple of hours, I would start figuring out how to vet realtors in different markets and, you know, going through all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, after many, many years building out a good referral network and pipeline of realtors in different markets, and then joining compass, you know, transferring that network into the compass community of agents yeah. and, um, and that sort of thing. So I was, I was kind of building my niche within sports and entertainment dealing with the gatekeepers. I mean, yeah, there's a business manager that I cold called probably for 10 years before he gave me the time of day. So I would cold call those people, Yeah, but you know, not, I wasn't kind of hammering the phones for just general real estate. Right. Right. So very strategic in your approach, uh, very deliberate and, uh, you know, adding value in the education piece, uh, is really smart, especially when you, you're talking about that type of clientele. And it's like, that's such an important place to educate these young people coming into tons of money with no financial education and no family money at all and no financial education. And that's just a perfect platform for you to add value. And I, I know I've, I've taken that approach as well. I think that's really smart. You know what? There's no guarantees. I think people got to understand you're not doing this with the guarantee that you're going to get any business. You got to just give your your intellectual capital and educate people and you know maybe it will come back to you and hopefully it does but it doesn't always you just got to know 
you got to keep putting it out there. And I think a lot of young agents don't don't know that. Uh, that yeah, and I think Danny also, like you mentioned, uh, it's not as glamorous as, no. it, as it seems to be, and you and I know that. And and you know, one thing I'll say to that is like even you know right now, there's a lot of a lot of uh, you know very well known NFL athletes that are coming down to South Florida to train. And they want to rent a place for a couple months furnished and they have very high expectations and you know the sports agents or the business managers are reaching out to me and it's it's difficult i mean like there's no money in it no first money. of all but, but it's not even that it, it's like i want to do it to be of service and i'm all day long but it's just hard like there's so, not enough inventory and even some of the guys that i helped put into places last year now the prices are 50 percent more expensive and right. they're upset and it's like well hey listen i don't control the, the rental market at this yeah. building i mean this is this is the situation so it's um you know the short-term rentals are tough and we get a lot of that from the athletes and uh and it's it, it's a different business model you know i think that's why like airbnb <clears throat> has become such a big business because we as realtors don't have access a lot of times to the short term and we don't manage it is it's very management intensive uh, but people don't realize that so so intensive so much work and how many times have you set up a tour all day long and blocked out your day and an hour before they cancel and then you got to call everyone back and they're upset and and then when you do finally find the place and you know the place gets destroyed because there's parties and this and that anyway yeah it's not it's a lot of headaches and not a lot of glamour for sure absolutely yeah i got a record label guy right now and luckily we got him into a signed lease but we had we were over two on a, a very expensive lease because one of the one of the rappers in his in under his record label there was an article about him trashing a place for two hundred fifty thousand dollars and the landlords, of course, found out about that. Yeah, I wasn't aware of it yeah. uh, up front, but then, you know, it, so it's, if we're dealing with just a regular person, you know, you, you, you do, you knock out that $35,000 a month lease right then and there, it's good. But yeah. with these, with these clients, it's different. There's a different, different, different animal, life. different animal all together. So what are some yeah. of the challenges uh, that you got, you're facing now in your business, now that you've built out a, a huge business with a team, what are some of the things that keep you up at night or things that stress you out? Uh, and then I also would like to dovetail into you. You mentioned that you know self development. I know you're big on meditation and mindfulness. So, uh, kind of walk us through your challenges now, and then you know how you, how you deal with those challenges. Yeah, I think the biggest thing right now is you know we want to control the outcome in this business, and it's very hard to control when you have very limited inventory. So I look at my listing count and say, oh, this is the least amount of listings that I've had in a long time, and that feels kind of weird, right? And then. Um, you know, and then you bring a listing to market and it's gone. So, I mean, that, which is a good thing. So you, there's like that, that extreme level of hustle for the first like three, four days to get everybody in there yeah. and run a transparent process and, and deal with all the anxiety that they're, that they're putting on. And I think on the buyer side, it's uh, trying to find the inventory. I mean, like just, just having these people that I'm helping and, and feeling like, man, I'm not, I'm not doing enough. Like I can't, uh, you know, I need somebody full-time working the phones. And that's where that revelation came to me. So I, I literally, um, just just hired a recruiter yesterday, and I said enough of trying to piecemeal this off-market stuff together by WhatsApp groups with other brokers and making the phone calls to other brokers. And I'll still do that, but I need I need to elevate that. So that's that's been the biggest thing this year, um, and, and it's hard this year because you don't have the predictability of a certain amount of listings, or you know, kind of knowing that you know you'll be able to match up the buyers with a property that you've got because um, right now that's not a given. And I think the other thing that we're seeing is, is less loyalty uh, in the business with buyers. You know, if a buyer has an agent that they meet off the street, but that agent or at a bar, at a, through a school function, whatever, if that agent has something off market at that moment in time, 
can you blame the buyer for not working with 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 us as as their primary agent if that other agents so i think it's an interesting opportunity for younger agents to really work the off markets and i think for those of us that are more seasoned we have to adapt our business model to do that because you and i may not have the time the younger agent has the time to work the phones we, we're not necessarily doing that so we're you know we're kind of at a disadvantage um in that That's sense right point. now it's an interesting time in the market yeah for sure i mean it's always been tough with buyer and buyer loyalty in our business because of what you're saying in any market but when it's an extreme uh, seller's market with a shortage of inventory it becomes even more acute and you're seeing it more and more where you know, their buyers feel like oh whoever brings it to me i'll go with i don't care who they are yeah. how bad they are or anything else as long as i just need to get into a property and like you said all you can do is adapt that's how it is there's nothing we can do about it you, all you can do is adapt so and that's the beautiful thing of the industry i think is like we're always challenged like nothing's ever exactly um you know what we what we think it is and and once, once we think we've got it, it's like jerry garcia you know like when life looks like easy street there's danger at your door like don't get too yeah. comfortable because the market's about to change on you and and you're gonna have to go hire this person and, and you know figure it out and i think that's the thing sometimes we're not great at at uh, i'm not great at building out systems and operations necessarily so last year i hired a director of operations to really help me with that because i'm like what is it that i would love to do i love to bring in business build relationships um you know negotiate and some of those things i don't want to do these other 95 things so let me try to be less busy on all that stuff and outsource that and you know there's a guy rory vaden um on the Lewis House podcast I listened to recently, and, yeah. and he, he, I love what he says. He's like, you know, uh, eliminate. It's like think of a funnel. You know, at the top of the funnel is eliminate. What can you eliminate that you're that you shouldn't be doing? Whether it's watching TV, keeping you up too late, or drinking that extra beer, or or just doing you know BS activities that you know administrative things that you really shouldn't be doing. The second thing is automate. You know, what can you automate? So that that I really took to heart and building out the structure and the systems and processes and all this stuff. And then um, the third part is to leverage and and train. And he 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 says something cool. It's like the 30X rule. So if you're going to train somebody, um, you know, if, if it takes five minutes, put 150 minutes into training them how to do it because the payback is there. And so it's it's that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that is such a key component to scaling and, and to having a life in a business that's 24 seven. Uh, figuring out what you can eliminate, what you can delegate, training, all these things are, you know, this is this is grad school for how you build a real estate business for sure. I love hearing all this. So let's talk a little bit about your personal stuff, your meditation, your mindfulness. I know that's a big part of, uh, of who you are, but walk us through how you got into that, what your practice is, and, you know, what is your, what is your typical day look like? Is it a morning routine you do? Is it a end of the day routine? Talk to me about that, man. I could talk all day about this stuff, so I'll try to keep it really concise, Danny. Yeah, the third. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I got into it. I wasn't trying to be mindful or spiritual or any of that stuff. It was like I was in my mid twenties and I was getting into residential real estate, and and uh, I wasn't sleeping well a lot of times. I started taking some sleeping pills, started taking some Xanax. When I was like, okay, tonight I really need to sleep, so I'm gonna take some Xanax. Yeah, and then I would go for a few more nights. Like tonight, I really need to sleep. I'll take some Xanax. I was like, screw that, man. Like I don't want to do this. This yeah. is this is not who I am. Like I'm. I'm trying to be healthy and and uh so i had to confront what what is it it was anxiety and <clears throat> and i realized i came across meditation and so i started meditating and then i would i would do it like most of the time then i would do it on the weekdays but i wouldn't do it on the weekends because i'm like i don't want to wake up on a saturday morning and meditate like come on you know 
But I started realizing like, no, this is actually the most important thing I can do. I started telling myself that mentally, but it didn't really hit home. Didn't really fully embody that until, you know, maybe like five or six years ago where I said, no, I'm going to meditate every day because I need this. Like, I don't want to wake up Monday morning after a weekend and I'm like, oh, I'm trying to recapture how I felt on Thursday and Friday from last week. Like it just kind of these highs and lows. So anyway, I started, you know, just digging in, like reading, going to taking courses, like just full on. Let's get, it's a huge rabbit hole to go down. So studying Zen and Buddhism and energy movement and, you know, just all these things. It's, it's such a broad world, right? Studying Tony Robbins and, you know, just some personal development people and, and just doing a lot of con- contemplation, like on my own. So meditation, breath work. Um, so, I mean, like a typical morning now is like, I'll wake up, I'll med- meditate for 20 minutes. If I get, if I can do more, like I'll, I'll try to get an hour meditation in during a week, but it's, it's usually a mindfulness-based meditation where I'm just catching my thoughts. They're going off. I'm bringing them back. It's kind of, kind of like doing a rep in the gym, the way I see it, you know, like yeah. every, every time you, you know, you lift that, you do that bicep curl, you're making that bicep stronger. Every time you catch the mind wandering and bringing it back, you're refining the mind. You're understanding the nature of the mind more. And to me, that's fascinating because I'm like, I love people. I love understanding people and psychology and coaching and all this stuff. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, so I'll, so I'll meditate, then I'll do like some affirmations that I've kind of come up with. Um, they're memorized. So I kind of know what they are. They evolve over time. Um, then I'll, and I'll do some breath work to start the meditation as well. Then I'll do some like Wim Hof breathing. If you know, yeah. if you know about Wim Hof, the Iceman. Yeah. So I'll do some breath holding, but I don't do it exactly the way he talks about it. But I, but anyway, that's kind of the idea. You do the, do cold, the cold water, the cold bath. Uh, I, I don't have one at home, so I'll do some every now and then. Um, a couple of my buddies have them, but I don't do that as part of my, my yeah. daily routine. No. And then, um, and then I'll do some energy movement where I'm actually, I learned this, some techniques through something called the you know, international Academy of consciousness years ago. And, and, uh, anyway, it's pretty cool. Like, you know, your energy movement and manipulation, um and that's you know that's pretty much it like that's pretty much it. and then gratitude so then i'll finish it off with like gratitude practice and i'll tell you what like at the end of that no matter how i woke up feeling that morning i'm just like i'm i'm at basis and i'm above like it's just in a great place and then i'll go work out and you know go do that stuff and then so i get up early because that whole thing takes like an hour it's an hour of all that's a lot of stuff yeah it ends up up taking 45 minutes to an hour yeah how early you get um, that uh, like 4.30, 4.30, 45, 5. It just depends on the day. Like if I'm going to ride the bike, I don't need two hours in the gym. But if I'm going to go to the gym, then I need a couple hours. So so I just kind of – and some days I'm just like, you know what? I need to sleep. I need to sleep a little bit more. So, yeah, so I try to be in bed by like – so then the nighttime routine, which is important, you know, like try to stop working at a certain time to, to kind of start decompressing and, you know, do a little centering practice before bed. I sniff some uh, valerian root and some pine. I love – I love the smell of pine. So I've got some pine scents um, uh, that, I, that I smell and that puts me in a good spot. Do some gratitude, do some stretching, uh, do a little reading. And uh, yeah, so that's like, and then throughout the day, like just one thing that's really been life changer for me and I'll, I'll shut up after this is just like the gratitude practice. Like I didn't learn this in school or growing up, but they don't teach this I realized they don't teach this stuff to you. Yeah. It's like, they don't teach you how to have a marriage and how to how raise to kids and all that. Right. Like yeah, how, to, how to operate a business and how to manage your finances. But but the gratitude thing has been a, has been a huge thing for me because, you know, like I start by doing it in the morning, then I start realizing, oh, I'm in line at the bank or, or whatever. And rather than the instinct is like, I want to look at my phone. How are my cryptos doing? What's, how are my stocks doing? What's the news? Like we all feel the social media, whatever. And I'll be like, no, you know what? I can think about like three things that I'm grateful for right now. And, and let me do that. And, and so it's like, 
it's just it's just such a mind expansion and, and energy expansion doing that. And it, it started realizing I'm driving and I'm thinking about what I'm grateful for. Now that's not always. I mean, of course, sometimes I, I get in the funks and and that kind of stuff. But I realized like um, like yesterday was a tougher day because I was on the road all day. Then I got back at like four. I had like dozens of text messages and phone calls. I got to get back to people, over hundred emails, deals. You know, it's like man, like this is this is crazy. I started having resistance, but I was aware of my resistance and able to like kind of manage it. Whereas the old me would have just I don't know, like just wanted to explode. Yeah. And now at least I was like, okay, I'm aware that I want to explode, and I'm aware that I can do some breathing and and stop resisting it. I just gotta I just gotta knock this out. Like I don't have another choice. So let me just do it and. I'm not saying that it was like, you know, sitting on the clouds or whatever, but right. it, it was, I was able to handle it a lot better than how I've previously handled those kind of situations. But that's our, that's our life. You know, that's so how we you, do it. You clearly uh, are a believer clearly from what you've said is that this has really impacted you in a positive way and how you react to a stressful career, stressful life, et cetera. But it, it's really helped. Now you're doing what I consider like the full, Monty of this. I, I've done it on and off, some mindfulness, some meditation. Sometimes I'm consistent, sometimes I'm not. Uh, but you're really, really uh, disciplined about it. And it's clearly works for you. And I, I just think people need to, if they're having issues, or even if they're not, they should, people should try it. Because just that gratitude piece alone, I know for me, the same way when I'm in a bad mood, I try to remember to get back to a place where I can think about a couple things I'm grateful for, which by the way, if you wake up and the people you're closest to and love the most, aren't sick and dying, that's a pretty good start right there for being grateful. So I'm not perfect at it either. And I obviously get sucked into the chaos and the stress, but I, I always try to come back to that too. And I think that alone uh, is big and you know, doing the meditation, mindfulness, if you, it's a discipline, but if you can do that, it really does help you be flexible and pivot when your stuff's coming at you a million miles an hour. And, I, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, the meditation to me, like that's, that's the easy part. It's, it's like when some, when you get that phone call or when something happens, it's like, that's the meditation in action. Yeah. Like that's before you when react. It, yeah. Yeah. It's in like, between the reaction, how do you deal with getting it and not reacting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Victor Frankl talks about the, uh, you know, in man's search for meaning, he talks about creating like the, the space between the, uh, or the gap between the, uh, the stimulus and your response. That's and it's it. like, <laughs> A lot of times it feels instant, but yeah. no, it's actually not instant. Like by being aware of the mind and the body emotions, like I did a, a 10 day Vipassana a couple of years ago and, and um, it's like a silent meditation retreat. Everything is silent. No talking, no looking at people, oh like, no God, writing. And listening. It's like, you just meditate like 10 hours a day. It's, it's very intense. But the thing that you learn is like equanimity of the mind and awareness of body sensations. Like that's it. It's very simple. And you're either only you're, you're clinging for something or you're or you're resisting something, you're, you're pushing something away. It's like these, like life is so simple when you, when you break it down like that, yet it's so nuanced and you never know when life's going to come at you and you're going to be, you know, tempted or wanting to resist or cling or so anyway, it's, yeah, I just feel like it's, um, it's really good. And one thing I was going to say about the meditation is for the morning routine, it is hard, but it's hard when you start the practice, but, uh, like Jersey Gregoric, I don't know if you know, he's a Romanian no. powerlifting coach and whatever older guy I wrote a book called the happy body, but he says something, which is like my favorite quote, it's uh, hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. And so the hard, the, the hard choice is to start the practice of these things, but then you start seeing, oh, life, life is easier. Life is better. And now it's like, well, that's not even hard for me to do. Like, I actually enjoy like the contemplation. I love the stillness. I love getting out of this crazy life for a little bit of time and, and just being able to like have some stillness and 
you know, some people love exercise. I mean, there's many ways to get into a flow state, but I feel like that's one of them. Like when you're, when you're going for a jog or when you're meditating or when you're, you're doing something to build your, your, your personal, you know, inner strength. What, what would be a couple books or the audio things to listen to that you would recommend for someone that was like, Hey, I'm interested in starting to look into this and maybe has no exposure to it. Where do you think, you know, what would be a good place to start? want to read a couple books or follow somebody or listen to somebody speak yeah there's there's a guy i mean for meditation specifically there's a guy uh john kabat-zinn who's kind of like the i don't know the father of of mindfulness really and 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 you know a lot of like the sharon salzburgs and uh ram das and some of these people you know went went to um india and came back in the 70s and you know it's more buddhist style but john kabat-zinn is there's no robes there, there's no buddhist sansara and all you know all the mentions of buddhism terms and things you don't need to learn that stuff he's like very uh you know very good about how he puts that out is just hey this is just a practice it's um it's not secular it's just a practice so john kabat-zinn and uh, he's a great one then a, a lot of the buddhist texts and a lot of those teachers that brought you know meditation to the west in that era are, are great i mean i love uh, alan alan watts he wrote the way of Zen. Uh, that's a little bit more Zen based stuff, but um, th there's, there's so much out there. Uh, but I, I think those Alan Watts, he's got some great audio recordings on audible. Um, uh, you know, I think um, Sam Harris, he's got a good app. Um, I think it's making the making sense podcast. I think it's called the waking up app, um, but there's headspace. There's a lot of these things out there. Yeah. Calm, get started on too. Yeah. yeah. A lot of different stuff. All right, so if I'm jumping on a plane, I'm coming out to Miami tomorrow. Where are you taking me to dinner? What's what are some good spots in Miami or South Florida right now? Yeah, it's crazy. There's so many. There's so many new ones too, like uh, Carbone sure. and, and some of these. Which, by the way, you can't can't even get a reservation there. A buddy of mine was there the other day, and he's like, "Yeah, there's like 13 billionaires having dinner here tonight." So it's all San Francisco. It's all Silicon Valley, yeah, right. you know, tech executives and stuff. But um. So there's, you know, there's, there's some of the fancier places like the Fina house and, and some of the places on Miami beach. I think there's like a really cool place. That's more like, um, uh, it's not fancy, but it's called Palapa, which okay. is in like upper Buena Vista, which is just North of, uh, you know, the design district and Wynwood, like some of those areas yeah. are just so cool. So it's like, yeah, you can go to dinner there at a pop-up restaurant, see a performance, get your aura reading, uh, do some perusing at a, like a gallery that's there have some drinks at the bar and then go home. And it's like, and it's all right there. You don't have to leave. It's, it's yeah. like it's really, and get an ice cream after dinner. You're like, yeah, it's just like all contained in these like little, these little neighborhoods that are kind of developing. So there's, there's so many of those kind of places too. And, um, and it's not just South beach. It's, you know, you have coconut Grove and Wynwood and design district. So yeah. there's uh, so it, much going on in so many yeah. different areas. And what are, what would be just a couple like, high profile buildings that we should be aware of, you know, anywhere in that South Florida area, are there anything that stand out that, Hey, th these are the buildings you should be aware of, of what we're getting some huge sales. In. Yeah. I see, I see a lot of buildings and um, there's one that I really like called Elize in Edgewater It's right on the water. And uh, just, you know, it, it's, it's tight. I mean, it's just the way it looks on the outside and, and uh, the amenities are amazing in there. That one's pretty awesome. Um, that's in Edgewater, which is just north of downtown, right in the bay. Okay. Another one that's amazing, I think, is Armani Casa or yes. Armani uh, residences in Sunny Isles Beach. I mean, that Armani is just to me that's the best building in Sunny Isles. You know, there's the Porsche Design Tower, but Armani is just, I mean, amazing, amazing building 
from the amenities to the pool to everything, the, the units, Beautiful uh, the way they're finished. I'm a big fan of that. There's another one in um, Coconut Grove called Park Grove. And it's three towers. There's like five acres of, of you know, space. You can walk downstairs. You have like, you know, the, the Mr. C Hotel, um, you know, Bellini rest, restaurant right there. You have shops and restaurants. Like it's just, you're right there in the heart of Coconut Grove, which is one of the most thriving little downtown village kind of places in all of South Florida that people love. Um, so those are three projects that stand out that are on the awesome. newer side that are that are amazing. Awesome, man. Well, that gives us some good context to uh, South Florida and what's going on. So I appreciate you joining us today on the deal. I'm sure we'll be talking soon about some clients going back and forth west coast of Florida and, and look forward to seeing you soon. But I appreciate you uh, dropping dropping some knowledge. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun to talk to you, Danny. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on your on your podcast as well. Yeah, I look forward awesome. to seeing you soon, man. Time. I appreciate it. Likewise, Thanks, man. Take care. Likewise, brother. Thanks, Great Danny. Great job, man. Great job. You killed it. I knew I'd be oh, good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It gave us a good breakdown of what's going on out there. It's good. Yeah, we talked talked a little mindfulness, all that good a stuff. A little too, everything. Right? So we covered probably a little different than, than normal. <laughs> awesome. Than all right, normally brother. comes up. Well, but. thank you. Have a good rest of your day, and let's uh, stay in touch and hopefully do some business soon. For sure, for sure. Let me know when, um, or I guess I. Uh, um, are you on Apple iTunes? I got. I was going to do this before, and I didn't. I didn't get to it. So where's the, where's the best way to find your podcast? Oh yeah, we're we're everywhere. So yeah, Apple okay. podcast. It's on Apple iTunes, or you see the video is on YouTube. It's the deal with Danny Brown, and uh, okay. once we get it edited, it, it usually takes a week to two to get it ready. We'll send you all the links. And then you could post it everywhere and blow it up, man. Ask people. Awesome. No, I will, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That yeah. was great. And I look up to you doing this because I uh, I want to do podcasts one day too. So it's fun. I've it's enjoyed amazing it. Thing to do it. Yeah. We did it. Started it like three, four years ago, and you know I go in waves. When I can fit them in, I try to get them. Yeah. But I the, recently I've tried to focus on all real estate people, and then trying to find key players in different markets. So people that are in real estate can get a perspective of what's going on around the country. I love it. I love it. No, it's great to, great to have the conversation with you. So congrats on that. Thanks, Ben. All right. Have a good day. All right, take we'll care, see Dan. you soon. Thanks, Ben. Thanks,